start with you on Halloween of last year. It's a monumental day for you. What was it, what was the significance of that day? Um, that was the day that my son was officially diagnosed with level two autism. Prior to that, what was what was your life like? I think prior to that, um, we were already in a lot of therapies because he was m missing certain milestones, and so we were already pretty busy with that. And but there was a lot of uncertainty and a lot of just open-ended questions that we had um, that we kind of found out more about on that day. And then there is also, I think, a lot of still, I don't know, maybe hope that this was just a global delay. This was something he was just going to grow out of um, because you didn't know. You didn't have an official diagnosis. So before then, you kind of had a little bit of all of that. You're nervous for this appointment. You're hoping it's just a global delay. Some people are feeding you this hope. Um, but then you're also preparing for to hear those words of no, it's autism. What kind of red flags were you seeing? With Bentley, he always played just differently. He always was in some mechanicals of toys instead of playing with them like how they should be played with. And he was obsessed with lining things up. Um, and if you messed up his line, he got very upset. He always loved to watch wheels. He would just lay there and watch him and watch him. And it, he just wouldn't do that play with you, like, where you played with him. You know, there was not that, no connection as far as that would go. Um, he very much liked playing by himself. And he could do that all day. And even when you tried to maybe play with him, he wouldn't allow you to. So these were the biggest things. Also with his verbal, because he was so behind. He was so speech delayed. And it took him so long to pick up words. And to the rate that the speech therapists were concerned, because, you know, he should be picking up more than this in this time period, and he just wasn't. Um, and then also with food. It was any texture that was sticky, icky, anything that would get on him. No, I'm not doing that. And, and he started that as a young baby. He, he hated being messy. As soon as you give him puree, he would pitch a fit. He wants you to wipe his mouth, right? And that started pretty young, and that still is something that has gone on now. So these were some of these telltale signs. I was like, okay, well, this is a little different than what I thought. Um, let me go see what's going on. So that led us to that appointment. How did life change after his autism diagnosis? I think for me immediately, if I'm going back to that time period in my life, I would say that, you know, leaving that appointment, I was heartbroken, but I was kind of positive to the fact of, okay, well, I'm going to get him in all these therapies. He recommended all of these. Let's get him in all of these, right? Like, these are the crucial years of the life. I was told up to five, that's what he's going to grow the most. I'm going to get him in all of these. He's not in these? Okay, I'll find it. No worries, you know, and I was kind of in that mindset of, okay, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to do, because these are, this is time that I don't get back, right? That's how it was explained to me. So I was very determined, like, we're just going to go, 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 and it's going to get better, it's going to get better. Um, and that was the mindset, but it wasn't that easy to do that, because you, as a parent or caregiver, just want the best, and you think I can just make the call or, you know, I, I already have the referrals. It's, I already got the hard part now. So now I just got to find somebody. It, and it was not easy. It was a lot of me calling people who didn't answer. It was a lot of me calling people that wanted to force more treatment than, than what was even recommended. 
Um, and it was very disheartening to be told everywhere you go, no, you have to do it this way. Well, that's not what the doctor wanted. Well, that's the only way we're gonna do it. Okay, I'll call the next person and the next person and the next and voicemails and nobody calls you back. And it was very, very frustrating. And it made me feel kind of like I was failing him, no matter the fact that I was trying so hard to make it perfect. I was trying so hard to just do it. But like everybody else around me, it wasn't as simple. And as in my head, it was, I already have it. I'm going to make the call. We're good. No, that was, you know, it wasn't that simple. And that was very frustrating for me as a parent. Um, it broke my heart as a parent. And I remember sitting there crying like, I couldn't find anybody to do the in-home ABA. And I remember sitting there crying, like, what am I going to do if I can't find somebody? Like, what what does that mean for him? Like, he's not, you know, and in my head, that, that was like the desperation. Like, I have to do this. My doctor told me to do all of this. We must do all of this. And when you couldn't find it, when I couldn't find it, it was very much like, what do I even do? Where do I even go? What are they doing to him, you know? Um, so, yeah, it was hard. Well, you... The diagnosis of autism is, well, it affects Bentley's life forever, mm -hmm. but it affects the whole family, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I think, for me, anyway, when I, when I heard autism and I started to actually think of what that meant, it was a lot of fear and a lot of worry, um because you just don't know. You don't know what that looks like for him long term. You don't you don't know how he's going to grow, how he's going to develop, and I think that's what immediately made me so scared. It was like you're telling me this about my 2-year-old son who has a whole life ahead of him. And I can't even ask you to what, you know, what his level means as far as is his ability to go to school, to get married, to be able to go um, make friends to do to do these things that we just expect our kids to do like and no one could give me that answer not even the developmental pediatrician because like nobody knows that right so all these uncertainties and you just start to kind of like grieve right like you're grieving things that haven't even happened yet but it's because in your head you're 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 waiting on the what ifs you're waiting on those negative things so I think I went through that whole process and basically prematurely grieving things that were nowhere in sight. There were, you know, things he won't do for many of years. But in my head in that moment when I got that diagnosis, all of that came up. Just like a huge wave and it just, it crushed me. Um, what did you find now would be, if you had to pick out, what were your biggest fears? What were, what were you feeling as a mom? What were your biggest fears that you were looking at? I think there was part of it that was blaming myself, um, rather just for not doing enough. Um, maybe I'm not playing with them right. Maybe that's why he's not speaking. Maybe, you know, I should have put him in that play group. Maybe I should have, you know, blaming myself that piece or did I do something wrong to cause the autism? Did I, you know, all these things, I think that was a big thing for me is one, self-blame. And then I think, two... I already had a taste prior to this where I was in public and um, just kids were cruel to him, right? Because he couldn't talk. And my son looks a lot bigger than what he is as far as his age. He looks a lot older. 
and I, I'm imagining they assumed he was older, but he at this point he did not speak much, okay? Um, not very verbal, did not know sign language, and so he just kind of stared. And I already had a situation where kids and adults, mind you, were, were horrible to him and just talked about him so rudely. Um, so I think when I got that diagnosis, it was almost like, was that his life? Right? That was a big fear of mine was like, what I've already experienced, is that the rest of this child's life? Because nobody deserves that. And that was a huge thing for me. And I think that's why I thought so negatively, because I've already had that experience. And that, his verbal delays was because of the autism. And so now in my head, I'm like, how is he going to live his whole life being treated like that? Right? Um, so that was a huge fear. And I think the other big fear for me is just the what ifs. You know, what, do I have to give up on dreams that I have for him or that I can teach him to have for himself? Or are they realistic? Like, do I need to go ahead and say he's not going to be able to get married or he's not going to cry? Is, is it that level? Or do I need to say, well, he needs to go? Like, my, my doctor recommended a special needs school for a couple years. Is that is that the rest of his life we have to do that? You know, it's just stuff like that, like all the I don't knows. What toll did that take on you personally? You know, aside from, you know, worrying about Bentley, mm -hmm. I'm talking about you. All that worry, all the questions that run through your head has to take a toll on mentally, physically. What did you find happening to yourself, you know, happening to yourself? I think my mind was just... <clears throat> all consumed and these negative thoughts these you know all these fears all these worries all these what ifs um i mean i feel like in a lot of ways like the autism broke me and it it's not and it shouldn't have okay um but I think just not knowing and just being so afraid of it and, and not having the education at that point that I, you know, I have now, I think it just, I felt like I was so overwhelmed that I knew no, I didn't know what to do, where to go. I didn't know how to help him. I, I beat myself up for any little thing that I thought I did wrong or thought I didn't do. And, and it just brought me to a point mentally where I think coping went out the window right and I think it was just so consuming these thoughts and these what-ifs that it got to a point to where I was having like panic attacks for no reason at this random moments you know you're taking a shower and you're having a panic attack and it's just random and it's like it spilled over in so many areas of my life now he was the one thing that pulled me out of it but it was like as soon as I was alone to my own thoughts we're right back in the anxiety and physically, it got me to a point where, beyond the panic attacks, which have physical symptoms, just feeling really just like sad and just so tired and so fatigued and just tensing up like randomly um, because of the stress, right? Like I'm, I just keep stressing out, I keep stressing out, my muscles kept getting tense. Um, I got really bad headaches. I already have headaches typically, but now they're really bad. They're causing me to get dizzy and now I'm worrying more and it was just like this, you know, 
it just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where you start to become, how do I even live like this? So this is your point where you said, I'm not okay. Yeah, that this is the point where I realized that I'm not okay because I can't even take a shower without having a panic attack. I can't enjoy, besides enjoying him, I can't really enjoy much of anything else. I'm all consumed thoughts and researching what I can get into, get or get him into for his autism, what I could do better myself, how I should play, how, I mean, I'm just so consumed and I don't even have the right knowledge at this point. This was pretty early on and I'm just so scared of what happened months ago where those kids ridiculed him happening his entire life. I'm so scared of that, that I am just literally just feel, I felt like I was just like crying in a ball in my room, right? Like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I realized like I'm not okay. And that was like, I know a big, this topic is, you know, I'm not okay and that's okay. I went through a phase of just thinking I'm not doing okay. I'm not doing too hot over here with this. This is overwhelming. This is a lot. I don't know how to process this. All I feel like doing is crying, but I don't even know what I'm crying about necessarily. I don't feel like many people understand me. Who do I even talk to about this? Um, is it just me, you know? And so that's kind of where I was at. And then... Well, I think you get the fear too. It, anyway, with panic attacks, is like you feel like you're falling apart inside. You have to deal with people, you know, doctors, therapists. Right. All. And it's like you're praying inside you're falling apart and you're, and you're praying, oh, please don't let them see that I'm falling apart because they're going to think I'm crazy. You know, it's because you're, you're so, you feel out of control. Yeah, and I think the thing, I mean, I even had the point, I never let it stop me as far as taking Bentley to appointments or anything, but that doesn't mean I wasn't scared straight sitting there waiting for them to pick them up, like get them, you know, get them in the back back there. Um, and I struggled with that a lot. And what did you find? What, at what point did you say, I have to do something? I, I, what, it, what am I going to do? It, I need to do something. It was the point where I couldn't go and even take a shower without a panic attack. Like just mindlessly. It would, anytime I even thought I was trying to relax, here it comes, you know, and I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't live life and I want to live. I don't want to just be alive. I want to live. Right. And that's where it was like, okay, I got to do something. What you do? That's where I think it changed to the, I'm not okay, and that's okay, right? I had to first accept that it's okay, that I'm not okay. Um, and I did that by talking to my therapist a lot. She was like, hey, like, I, I don't blame you. Right? This is a lot. Your life is a lot. You have to accept a lot. You had a lot happen. That's okay. Like, it's, I expected nothing more than for you to have this anxiety and these fears and these worries. That's normal. Stop making yourself feel like that's not normal. Right? And that was kind of what she communicated to me. That was her advice based off of my situation. And that's where I realized, like, you know what, you're right, like, I'm not good right now, I'm not okay. But you know what, that is okay, because I'm doing the best that I can right now. And accepting that was, like, step one. Ex accepting that I'm not okay, 
that is okay that is normal stop beating yourself over up over not being okay step two was i need to turn these negative thoughts somehow positive i gotta stop thinking like negatively because that's what's you know bringing me down the rabbit hole i have to think positively and so that is a lot harder I can imagine. To do than say because everything points negative. You go to get test results negative. His age is way younger than what he actually is. This, this, and that. You know, and so it's really hard to do that. But um, that was another thing I had to work on. How do I change my thoughts from negative to positive? Changing your perspective. Yeah. And a big thing with that was putting in self-care. That's a tough one. My routine, yes. Because as a mom, you look at, there's only 24 hours in a day. Yes. I have all these appointments to go to. I have all these mom things I need to do. I need to love on Benny like crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, now comes the time I have four hours left for sleep. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would say the way my therapist kind of worded it to me was like, I felt selfish having self-care. Like, I was taking too much time for myself. Um, and these weren't long moments, right? And I still felt selfish. I had the mom guilt. I had the mom guilt about, you know, any time I took for myself, which I think a lot of parents go through. They're not just moms, just a lot of parents. And so, um, but she told me, you know, you can't offer Bentley the best of you if you're not taking care of yourself too, right? So stop looking at self-care as this like selfish thing that you're doing and start realizing that it's going to help you be even better for him. Well, that's like the story you always hear about, you know, if you're on an airplane and there's trouble and the oxygen mass drop. Right. To put yours on first. Right. And, you know, your initial thought is, well, I have to help my child. Right. But you can't help them if you're not taking care of yourself Right. And no, that's exactly what it is. And, and I was starting to get to the point now while it, it never happened where it stopped me from taking care of Bentley. That was my fear that it was going to. Um, and so it was like, I got to stop the breaks. I got to do something different. Self-care is where it was. And so I started with positive affirmations. Um, and they feel at first, or for me, they felt very untrue. But I just kept telling myself them. Um, that's where you start changing your thinking. Um, and that's what I did. And yes, they did not feel natural and it felt hard to think of it positive. But eventually over time, you keep telling yourself, you'll see they come a little bit more naturally. I started there and then I started doing more self-guided meditations and um, like yoga nindra and things like that. Relaxation things, Epsom salt baths and, and just really trying to figure out how to be mindful and in the moment and be present and take these time and just relax right things that and i never knew how to do that before i definitely wasn't doing that and so these are the things i implemented after my son went to bed that i could kind of reset my mind or at least pause the thinking for the time that i'm doing it and that's been something that has been very helpful for me because it allows me not to just go down the spiral of the what ifs and the fear i can stop it and put a halt on it and kind of go about my day. So it's been a multifaceted approach to dealing with 
all the stress and all the anxiety and things like that. There's not one thing that you say, oh, this was the best thing I ever did. You needed a multiple things to do every day. Yeah, I feel like when I don't do my self-care, then it kind of puts me off track a little bit. I think the thing is about finding what works for you in your schedule. That could be reading a book, right? Some people find that super relaxing. That could be taking a bath. And I take up some salt baths sometimes. That can be doing yoga or yoga nidra or meditation. For me, it's about doing stuff throughout the day to keep me kind of on track or to bring some moments of mindfulness back into my life. I meditate in the morning. I do devotions in the morning. And then I go about my day. I like doing like the yoga ninja stuff during the afternoons at nighttime. Again, I'm back there either doing Epsom salt bath, yoga ninja stuff. It, it's about finding that time where it makes sense and implementing it and not feeling selfish about it. Um, but I think the number one thing for me is that I have a counselor who really tries to reframe my negative thinking patterns and my obsessive patterns. And she's the one that's giving me a lot of like positive perspective that I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And sometimes just hearing that, like, hey, it's okay that you're not okay. Like, I didn't expect you to be okay. Like, just hearing that from someone else is all you need to realize that, like, you're not crazy. It's just there's so much going on. So counseling is a big thing for me to talk through my fears, my worries, my anxieties. That's probably the number one thing I would recommend. Number two, obviously, self-care, self-care, whatever that looks like for you. And then three, like sometimes you have to take medicine, right? So that sometimes does help for people. And so, you know, talking to your doctor, my, my doctor does watch me as far as anxiety and depression and everything that has to go with this. And so it's okay to take medicine, right? So that's something that people need to know, like that's an option for you as well. So if the counseling's not working, the self-care's not really working, maybe you can't get yourself to be mindful that is another option that is very helpful is you know depending on what your doctor would suggest so those three things kind of combined is what really helped me what i would have to think it would be some kind of managing your perspective as far as time goes you know worry about today yes so that you know i do that my counselor always tells me that too stop worrying about tomorrow you can't change the past so why are we worrying about the past you're worrying about things that are way in the future. There's no need to do that. So what I do, and I do it every morning, it's when I wake up, I try to tell myself before I get out of bed, you know, it's going to be a good day. Something good is going to happen today. Let's go ahead and set the mindset. And when my mind starts wandering about, you know, Friday or Saturday or whatever, no, we're going to focus on Monday. I'm, I'm going to get through today. And then I'll worry about, you know, it, when I get to it. And that makes it a lot more manageable just to worry about what you have going on today. And sometimes I even find myself, I will break it even smaller. Like, I'm gonna worry about this morning because I already know this afternoon causes me stress. So you know what? I'm gonna get through these morning appointments first and then I'm gonna worry about that. So make breaking it down to where it feels more manageable for you is something that would be um, really good and that's something that was very helpful for me. So wrapping this up, if you had a you know, there's somebody out there listening who's sitting in the same boat that you are. You know, maybe the, the story's a little different, uh -huh. but they have the anxiety, they have the stress, they're, they're just overwhelmed. Yeah. What would be your best advice to them? It's okay 
to not be okay, right? And I would probably tell them that I know you feel alone. I know you feel overwhelmed. I know you wish you could just make it right. You could fix it. I know a lot of times you would take the place of what your child is going through. Um, and those are all normal feelings, right? And, and I think I would tell people, one, don't blame yourself for all that's going on. Because I did. And it caused me so much depression. And you know what? It's, it's not your fault, right? One. Two, you need to reframe how you're looking at this. And I know that's harder. That's harder than what it, you know, it sounds like doing. But when I looked at my son's autism as a way of the world was going to be so cruel to him and he wasn't going to live a good life. And he would, when I looked at it from that perspective, that's what brought me to the depression and anxiety. But as I learned more and as I educated myself more and I talked to more people, I realized that's not true, okay? And so I think for people, I would just tell them, you know, don't blame yourself. You need to give yourself grace and educate yourself on what autism actually looks like. Um, you know, your child, your child may be on a different level than my child, but th there's always this light in each of these each of our children right like and I think in those dark moments you feel like there's not but there is no matter what level there is that is still your child there's still a light in their smile you still see all that so that's just something to kind of keep in mind um, um, and I think one of the biggest things one of my biggest pieces of advice would be that when you find yourself thinking when you find yourself in that deep ditch and you don't know how to get out know in all there's always a way out okay and I know it doesn't feel like it always but that's something that there is there is going to be a way out of this ditch and do not be afraid to reach out for help whether that be to your doctor whether that be to your counselor um, whether that be talking with your therapist there's there are people out there ready to help you there's a village right that is willing to help you and willing to help your child and one of the best things that you can do is try to make a village of people who care about that, your child, as much as you do. And that is very much possible. It's hard. It's hard to find those special people. But man, when you find those special people, they change your life. They change how you feel lonely. They change your perspective. That's what you have to do. You make a village of these special people that love on your child just as much as you love on them. And you'd be surprised how supportive you feel in that. You're not alone in this, even though you feel like you are, because you don't see it everywhere you go. But you're not alone. You just have to reach out for help. You just have to make the connections. That's one of the biggest things that I would recommend for people. And, and to just, it's okay to not be okay. And that's like the biggest message of this whole thing is you're going to have days that are hard. You're going to have days that you're overwhelmed. And that is okay. Don't beat yourself up over that. You're not a bad parent because today is a hard day. Today's just a bad day. I had to learn that. It's not just about you have one bad day. That doesn't mean you're going to have a bad week or have a bad month. You've ruined everything. Stop thinking like that. I thought like that. You got to realize it's okay to have a bad day. Today could just be your bad day. Tomorrow might be amazing. Tomorrow you don't know what lies ahead. And so you got to keep that thinking. Um, and that would be probably my biggest thing of advice to give to people.
Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. I know it's been a hard journey, and I know it'll continue to be a, a, a hard journey. That you're gonna and you're gonna learn a whole lot more as you go along. But thank you for sharing your words with us today, and just uh, encouraging other people who may be going through the same thing and wondering where to turn. Yeah, no, thank you. I think one of the things I, I want to make known is like, just because I talk about this and I've come so far, I still have so much farther to go. And I'm not perfect and I have my bad days. And that's part of the reason that we started this, right? I'm not trying, we're not trying to sit here and say we have it all figured out because we don't. And we rely on the help of doctors and counselors and we recommend that you do that as well. And that's why we're doing this though. Because when you understand that someone else has that same fear, that same worry, you know how much stronger you fear, that how much stronger you feel when you know you're not alone. And that was the biggest reason that one of the reasons we're doing this is so that people out there listening, if you're in that place, that whole, you're not alone. I'm right there with you. I'm not perfect. I have bad days. I still struggle. And that's okay, right? We're we're getting over the negativity. So well, thank you, everybody. Again, we'll see you next week with a new topic. And have a great day, everybody. Bye.